Welcome to the Good People Podcast, where each episode we explore what it means to be good by talking to everyday heroes, philanthropists, altruists, and do-gooders. I'm Kelsey Timmerman, author of the Where Am I series, Where Am I Wearing, Where Am I Eating, Where Am I Giving? Basically, uh, here we talk to people who give a damn, and I'm joined by my good friend who gives a damn, Jay Mormon. Jay, how are you doing? Great, Kelsey. How are you? Feels Great. nice to uh, be, be back on the pod. Yes, Second time in a few weeks. It's exciting. But- yeah, it's been a while. And we're also joined by my friend, Pam Mandel. Pam, how are you doing today? Hi, Kelsey. I'm good. So Pam launched her career as a travel writer with a blog, which is uh, one of my favorite blogs. Uh, and I always think of Pam, uh, it's like she's never pit, never pivoting the video. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> still Just Kelsey, FYI, I can't take credit for that because that is a long reads tagline. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, which, which I mean, you I, did. You worked with them for a while, right? I did, and I support the whole never pivoting to video thing. But I cannot take credit credit for that tagline. So Pam and I are not happy that blogs aren't uh, as, as much of a thing as they as they used to be, because that's kind of both where we got our start. Um, Pam has also written for Afar, Lonely Planet, AAA, Seattle Met, Sunset, and just all over the place across the web. Uh, she's been to all seven continents including a really cool trip to Antarctica. Uh, obviously, if you're getting the seventh, that's kind of everyone's like last, uh, last one, it seems. And oh, she has shown us a penguin. Looks like, does he, does he push the button? Does he sound like Morgan Freeman? <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, we'll, have no. we'll have to edit that joke. Good. Oh, what? That was a bad one? Was a bad one? <laughs> All right, well. Uh, so, uh, Pam lives in Seattle, Washington with a rescue dog named Harley who may make an appearance and she um, also has too many ukuleles. So Pam, uh, so excited to have you on here. Congratulations. Well, first off, happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, yeah. This will probably air um, at a later date, but today is your birthday and I'm so happy you're in, in the world. Uh, I love reading your words. So I'm excited to have you on. Thank you, Kelsey. So you just had a book came out, uh, The Same River Twice, uh, your first book uh, after writing many, many, many words that I've read many, many times. So I was so excited to have your words be in a book on my shelf. Um, and I've I shared that with Jay as well. And so to kick things off, I thought maybe you could share a story with us that you write about in your book. Um, so you, in your book, it kind of follows you from a, uh, a team that sets off in, in, to, on the trips to Israel and then beyond. And, um, and it's almost kind of like me a little bit in that it travels kind of never stop. It's maybe always kind of been a part of who you are, what you're doing, just kind of in between trips when you're home. Um, and, but there's this particular hike. Uh, you did a hike in Tibet. And... One of the things it's, I loved about it's your... India, point of order. It's India. Oh. It's not Tibet. Okay, okay, it's India, and you did a long hike. And at the end of that hike, you're out of you're out of fuel uh, for your stove, and you're trying to heat up some water. And could you share a little bit about kind of what happened? What happened next? Yeah. So our stove broke, um, and the fuel leaked, and it was all bad, right? And we are I don't know seven days from anywhere in high altitude Himalayas. And I needed to cook my dinner. And we had a, there was, there was me and my bad boyfriend, um, 
spoiler alert, there's a bad boyfriend in the book, me and my bad boyfriend and a party of Sherpas and then some German trekkers who we had joined forces with. Um, we, I love how random that all is, first off. Like, uh, bad boyfriend, German trekkers, and some Sherpas. It's just, that's it. That's travel, right? That's- <laughs> it really is. So, so we had joined forces with these Germans and their Sherpas, um, and uh, our stove broke. And I really didn't want to be uh, relying on them. Like, we should have kitted ourselves out properly for this, and we were not prepared for it. And we weren't going to be able to get additional fuel for, I don't remember. I don't remember what happened because I only remember doing this once. But in this particular overnight, I walked down into this Himalayan village and knocked on the door of a house carrying my, my cookware with all the stuff in it to get it. And I knocked on the door of a house and I asked these people if I could use their fire. Um, and they invited me in. And let me use their fire. Now, this is a very small thing. Um, but when I think about it in sitting in my suburban home where I am now, and I think about the idea of somebody like knocking on my door and asking me if they could use my stove to cook their dinner. I would think this is insane for starters. Um, I don't know that I would call the cops, but it might cross my mind that there was something wrong with this person and maybe they needed assistance. These people, they opened the door, they let me in, I hung my cookware in their fire, and we sat there and looked at each other while my dinner cooked. And then I picked it up, they gave me a cup of tea, I picked, we couldn't speak to each other because they were, um, this is a, up in up in high, high altitude Ladakh, I do not, I'm assuming they spoke a Ladakhi dialect, so we couldn't talk, we just sat there quietly looking at each other, they gave me a cup of tea. They watched me cook my dinner. When it was done, I took it. You know, I said, thank you. Namaste. And I left. It's this tiny thing. But the idea of letting a random stranger who knocks on your door at supper time into your home to cook their dinner. That is so crazy, right? It's crazy. Yeah. There's two things that are crazy about that. One is that I did it in the first place. I was like, I'm just going to ask these people if I can cook my dinner at their house. What was I thinking? Right? Like I was thinking that somebody would let me do this. And then they were like, oh, sure, this random person who is from literally half the world away is going to come into my house and cook their dinner. Um, Okay. I mean, we were in a trekking region. It's not a thing that they, I I imagine that they had seen people like me walking through there before. It's not unusual. But the fact that they didn't really seem bothered one way or the other about it, it was fine with them. And, you know, I was a tiny 19 year old girl. So I don't think I presented any threat and I probably did not seem crazy. Um, but yeah, that's a thing that happened. It's true. Yeah. It's so true. Was it, was it awkward? Was it awkward at all when you're sitting there in the silence? And first off, you didn't ask to use the fire. You like probably did some kind of like hand, like this is fire and I have this water. And well, this- so it was, so I was holding the pan, right. And it was a one room house. And I looked inside, like I looked past into the, when they opened the door, I could see the fire. And so I just kind of pointed at the fire and at my, at, at my dinner. Right. And they understood what I wanted. Yeah. yeah. I also wonder how much, you know, why, why is that? Like the, one thing about travel is it's really made me see how amazing most people are um, growing up and, rural Indiana where everyone's supposed to be afraid of 
you know, of other people from other places, it seems like that's kind of like ingrained in us a little bit. It's the exact opposite. Most of the time, people are just amazing. And I, you know, I, I wonder if it's a little bit like those folks who you knocked on the door could not probably imagine being so far from home. And what would, you know, so they hear that you are far from home, evidently, and they're just help, helping you. I, I wonder if people just feel sorry, <laughs> felt sorry for you uh, to let you in like that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the the, the ideal uh, bookend on this story would be to find those people and ask them if they remember. It would be an impossible thing to do. I can't even imagine. Like, I don't know where that was exactly. Everything has changed in that region. Uh, but it would be an amazing thing to sort of imagine, to hear them tell this story, right? And be like, there was this crazy girl on our, on our front steps, but she seemed harmless and she was unarmed and she was like 95 pounds of 19 year old girl. And it was clear what she wanted. So ah, it just didn't seem like there was a, pro- like, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, um, I also wonder if so much of this goes back to cultural values of community versus individualism too. Right. I, I bet if a fellow vi- villager came by and did that, they'd probably be as willing to kind of open the door and share. Whereas we're pretty locked in our houses. If you don't have a stove, it's your own fault, Pam. I don't, I don't, you don't use mine. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. That's, yes, that's, that's a good point, Jay. And plus up the, you know, up in that community, the people probably have to rely on each other much more where our social safety net has a whole lot of holes in it, but you know, we've kind of built this culture of individualism. Uh, right. That, I mean, they, they live right. in a place where they are literally buried in snow for many, many months out of the year. Um, I'm sure they understand the value of heat and fire and fuel and all of those kinds of things. Of course they do because they live in a place where they are buried in snow for many, many months of the year. So certainly they understood that I wanted a thing of value. Um, they had it. Um, I think a funny thing, this is, forgive me while I go off on a like vaguely metaphorical tangent, but, but that, um, I wasn't taking anything from them that wasn't already happening. The heat was there. They had like a big thing set up, right. And I put my small thing next to it and then I took my small thing and went away. Um, there was no, uh, cost, yeah. Yeah. You didn't say, Hey, can I have all your bread or something? Right. Like right. Yeah. I, you know, I, I um, it, it's a little bit like um, standing under the shelter of a roof to get out of the rain. Yeah. Right. Where like the roof's there, you're not hurting anyone. I mean, it's, it's certainly a much more intimate interaction. I was literally in their home yeah. cooking my meal next to theirs. So it's a much more, you know, they had to allow me in for this thing to happen, but it's not a, um, you know, I was not, I wasn't, I wasn't a thief. So can you think of any times where um, like the kindness of strangers has, it has cost them something that they've, someone's helped you out? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Hmm. I, I don't know that I can answer this off the cuff like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that, like, I oh, so I remember, first of all, I don't know necessarily if it cost them or not, but I remember once I was in Florence and I got on the train the wrong day to go back to Amsterdam. 
And for some reason, I was very badly prepared for this. And I was stressed out. <laughs> and I was on the theme. train on the wrong day. And the conductor came through to punch tickets. And he was like, this is the wrong day. And I was like, we are now two hours outside of Florence. So I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Anyway, there was a there was a woman in the carriage in the compartment with me. And she was traveling with her daughter. And they shared their food with me. Um, and I do not know if they had enough to share. Mm. So it is possible that, yeah, that did cost them something. Um, and, and I just don't know. Um, you know, so that's why it's a hard question mm-hmm. to answer, right? Like, um, I, I'm sure there are circumstances. It's possible that, yeah, they did not get as much to eat as they wanted or could have if they hadn't fed me. Um, I suppose it's also possible that they wouldn't have shared if they didn't have enough, or maybe they would have. I, I just don't know. Yeah. It's interesting to think, I think about. It's one thing that, I mean, travel puts you in kind of positions where you need, you need help. And, yeah, and all you, the time. you kind of have to rely on the kindness of strangers too. Uh, so how often do you, do you ever think about the, the people like that lets you into their home to warm up your water or some of the other folks? I think about that stuff all the time, all the time. Um, uh, can I tell you a, a, a peripherally related story? Yes, do it. That's what we're um, here for. So there's a, a woman I know, um, and maybe you know her name, Julie Colazzo Schweiker, Schweiker Colazzo. I'm going to get it wrong. Um, she's yeah. involved with an organization called Immigrant Families Together, and they work with families who have been separated at the border. Um, and this is over a year ago now that she messaged me, and she was like, this, this young woman is being released from the detention center in Tacoma can you go get her? Mm, we have a ticket wow. for her. She's going to be sent home back to Tulsa in, um, but she, uh, she needs an escort to the airport and she needs a place to stay the night. Um, and I was like, where do I go? What do I do? What, like, I'll, I'll be there. And I think it'll take me half an hour to get there. My Spanish is terrible. I'm really sorry. And <laughs> I had another friend who speaks very good Spanish and we got together and we went and picked her up. She had been like spit out on the curb at the detention center. So we picked her up. We took her shopping. Um, she spent the night at my house. And in the morning, I took her to the airport. And they gave me a pass to take her through customs and immigration because she was undocumented, right? Mm. She doesn't have paperwork. So they wanted an escort with her in case there was any flack. So they give you certain paperwork when they release you. Uh, and um, But depending on who you get with the TSA and what security is yeah. like and everything, right? So. So they gave me a, a escort pass so I could go with her to the gate. And, um, you know, so she spent the night here. I took her to the airport in the morning we, and, and off she went to go be um, reunited with her family. Wow. in Tulsa, I think. Mm. Um, and when Julie's uh, from immigrant families together, when her coworker messaged me to ask me, they're like, we have somebody in Seattle, um, who needs help? Can you go get her? I was like, of course. Yeah. Right. Like, of course I would do this because those people let me cook on their fire. Right. <laughs> like those two, they are directly related. There is not, yes. it's not even circuitous, right? It's like they, those people let me cook on their fire when I was 19. So now many, many years later, of course I will go get this girl. Of course mm-hmm. I will. Right. Like, why would I not? How could I say no? Yeah. Do you, do you feel connected. like, do you feel like the karmic balance is still, is it in balance? Or is it still out of balance? Have you, have you, where does it, where do you stand on that? 
one can always acquire better karma. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I don't feel like I have, like I have earned, like I don't, I don't tell you this story because I want to, I want to be patted on the back for taking this girl in. I tell you this story because, uh, because those people fed, let me cook on yeah. their fire. Right. Like it just seems, um, it's not even about the car. It's not even about the karmic balance. Right. It's like, yeah. that's what you do. Of course you do. It's not even a question in my yeah. mind. Yeah. I, I feel like personally, like I'm so out of whack. I've had so many people help me through the years on so many different things. Right. And I live in Muncie, Indiana, where, you know, like, there's not a traveler passing through, uh, well, you know, on my street 10 miles north of town right. that, that, that needs some help. And I right. Right. help, you know, right. there's a neighbor's horse that gets loose and, you know, we can we can help out in that way. But, you know, it's it's I just feel like I can't it's hard to repay that, uh, that those kindnesses. Jay, how about you? Have you? uh had a chance to help a, a straggler through Muncie. <laughs> straggler through Muncie, Stra- uh, uh, you know, straggler. other than the random, <laughs> yeah, other than the the sort of random things that all of us kind of run into, right? But yeah. again, when you look at the balance thing and the sort of privilege most of us have and carry, especially if you look globally, no, I mean, it's it's hard to get back to any yeah. place where you feel like you've gotten anywhere near that. Yeah, it's it's an impossible task, and also, um, uh, you know, I'd do it again. Of course, I would, right? Like, of course, I would. And and I've had innumerable travelers come through my home. Yeah. And um, this uh, young woman from um, she's from Guatemala, I think she's from Guatemala, was to me like, on the one hand, she was legitimately a refugee who had been detained by ICE, and for four months she hadn't spoken to her family, nothing, right? Um, and so on the one hand, like her, her situation was extreme and dire and terrible. And on the other hand, to me, I was like, she's just a traveler in my neighborhood. And I'm going to take her to my favorite place for ice cream because that's yeah. what you do. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what you, you're, somebody comes through your friend says, Hey, could you pick up this friend of mine? They're stuck in your town. And then you're like, Oh, Hey, you're in my town for 24 hours. I'm going to take you to my favorite place for ice cream. And we're going to have dinner. Do you need anything? I know you're flying out tomorrow. Can I run you to the store? Right. You just, it's just what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a lesson that you learn when, when other people give you an example of yes. that kindness. Yes. Um, that's like you hitchhike a lot and you hitchhiked a lot in, in the book you talk about it and yeah. like how many rides have you had versus how many people have you picked up, you right. know, like, right. Because the nature of kind of where we live, you know, I picked up a hitchhiker at once in, in um, my hometown, Union City, uh, Ohio. Right. And it was not, it was not good. I won't pick up hitchhiker in that right. area again, probably, you know, like, and I've right. had a lot of rides. So I uh, pick up hitchhikers when I'm in Hawaii. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I actually have done some, like I did some hitchhiking up in the, um, up in the Gulf islands, the, the Canadian Gulf islands with some friends. Mm-hmm. Cause we had this R we had this RV for a trip we were on together and it was dumb to drive it into town. And we're like, you know what? Let's just, let's just hitch into town, right? We're in our like forties, <laughs> you know, and people picked us up and drove us into town. Right. Like, That's great. Um, and so, you know, I don't pick up hitchhikers because I am a five foot two woman and there are some realities around that that are unfortunate, but I will pick them up when I'm driving a rental car in Hawaii and I see hitchhikers, I pick them up because it's the islands. And everybody knows everybody else, and it feels totally okay to me. And, yeah, that you know, and that's the same story my father gives about 
Alaska when he was there mm. in the Air Force. Is in Alaska, people are getting from this long distance to another long distance, and um, you just the first he would he would always tell me the first car that came along was the one that would pick you up mm. every time. Yeah, you never wait, right? Like yeah. Hawaii, it's part yeah. of who they are now. Is it different now? I don't I don't know, but I'd be interested to find out. I, I you know, I I was recently in Hawaii and Pam like connected me with one of her friends and stuff and I was talking with some folks there about hitchhiking and they said it is still common but not as common as it used to be. Mm. But it, it has become like less common there as well. Um, which I mean, don't we all want to live in a world with hitchhikers? I think so. That's the world I want to live in. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, I want to live in a world where it's safe for me to hitchhike. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was in New Zealand and I met, uh, I hitchhiked all around New Zealand and I met a, um, uh, a young woman who was hitch. She was from Japan hitchhiking by herself. And I was like, wow, you are amazing. And then also I am like, like terrified, you know, like, um, but there was much more of a culture of it there too. Um, uh, but uh, you know, that's one thing I, I think reading your book, what I really loved about it, it kind of takes me back to my early days of travel. Um, and it also makes me see the world through the eyes of a young woman, um, which, like you said, face different realities than, you know, 22 year old me is off in the world for the first time. Um, and you know, I mean, I think you're. Um, you you had some really eye-opening experiences. I mean, you started, I think your book starts when you're 16 or 17. Yeah, 17. Yeah. And you go off to Israel and, and you can see like your, your kind of your mind being stretched and your awareness growing about these global uh, issues that maybe you didn't, I mean, that's such a young age to even start to, to have that awareness um, let's be clear it's too young <laughs> yeah that's part yeah. of that's part of what's going on with this book is that i am too young for this um i mean that's definitely too young for a lot of what was going on and very early in the book um there is uh uh right when i get to israel there the plo starts shelling the israelis from the from the Lebanese border, right? And so there is like legit, so I'm legitimately in a war zone early on at 17 years old and it's too young for all of it. Yeah, it's a yeah. really harsh realities like become apparent really early on. Yeah. In, in the book, in, in, in your experiences, um, for sure. But, you know, maybe like for me, I was definitely sheltered and grown up in rural Ohio. Uh, and it sounds like you were kind of grown up in suburbia a little bit and all the bubbleness that happens with each of, each of those. Sure. Uh, but, and, but when you start getting out there in the world, you start to kind of see the privilege of your own life and feel like that is often, un, you know, unearned and maybe you start to wrestle with that and some of the responsibility that comes with that privilege and wanting to do something, want to act in some way. Um, and so I love seeing that, like, in, in you, you're kind of your mind being open, not just the harsh realities, but just just becoming more empathetic and compassionate for the world. What 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 did that lead to? Your book ends when you're still, I think, in your in your er, like. 20s? I'm in my in my early twenties at the end yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first of all, I have a, a incurable lifelong case of wanderlust, um, so there's that, uh, and the current situation is kind of killing me. Um, you know, not being able to travel is is heartbreaking in a hundred different ways every day though I feel very strongly that it's the right thing to be doing for almost everyone. 
there's some narrow exceptions, but in general, I think people should be staying home. And so it's really, uh, it's like I said, heartbreaking in a million ways. Um, and you know, I became a writer because I traveled, uh, I became a, a writer because I traveled and I like to read about places, you know? Um, and I think m much of my political worldview is grounded in these early travels and in the way the interactions that I had with people, uh, a, a sort of general understanding that the, this, is, this is incredibly cliche and I apologize, but the things that tie humans together are so much bigger than the things that make us different um, you know, and if you go back to the idea of me trying to just get my dinner cooked, that is a very basic and relatable kind of thing that humans want to do. They want to have a hot meal, um, you know, and that's what, that's sort of this basis. And, and as soon as you internalize the fact that most people want those things and they want them for you as well, mm -hmm. it really shifts the way you look at the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, you experience, you see the inequality and injustice, like firsthand yeah. uh, when you're when you're traveling. And like, yes, how did you start to wrestle with that? Um, like, did you turn that into action at all? So it took me a long time to actually do anything with it. You know, I was, I was, uh, I was so travels a drug. Right. And I think it's, it's sometimes I think it's, it, we forget that, right. Like it's, it, it makes you kind of high, right. Like you, you go out in the world and everything's exciting and uh, it fills you with adrenaline. And if you're the kind of person who gets excited by new things, you know, it's just like all this stuff fires in your brain, it can be really thrilling. And so for a long time, I was just looking for like, what's the next big adventure, right? Mm -hmm. Like what's the next great high, where am I going to go next? Right. Um, and, um, but I also, like, it became very important to me to see clearly the places that I was going. Uh, I really wanted to transcend the view of a place from just somebody was bungeeing in for a vacation to actually having some kind of understanding about what happened there, how things got to be the way they are. That became really important to me to not make assumptions about places. I did a um, I did a safari in uh, Kenya and Tanzania. This is maybe five years ago now, maybe a bit more, maybe seven. Uh, the first thing that I did was I landed in Nairobi, which is an overwhelming place. Have you been to Nairobi, Kelsey? Yes. It's mm -hmm. an overwhelming yeah. place. It's just it just feels like. I'm sure that for people who live there, there is an order. <laughs> but for me as an outsider, it seemed like one of the most chaotic places I had been as an adult. The I arrived, I was going on an organized safari and I arrived and shared a taxi to the hotel with this other, this other couple who were doing, uh, going to the same place and leaving on another, they were also going on safari. They had lost a sleeping bag in the course of their travels that had become detached. And they, I saw them at breakfast and they were like, we're going to the mall. Mm. Um, do you want to come with? And I was like, 
this is my first day in Nairobi and you're asking me if I want to go to the mall. <laughs> and you know what I did, right? I went to the mall. Yeah. Of course I went to the mall, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, of course there's a mall here, you idiot. Like people don't need housewares in Nairobi. Like what is yeah. the matter with you that you don't like? And I was at some, you know, I wandered around in this state of slightly cognitive dissonance because we drove past goat yards and carts being pulled by donkeys and uh, just the sort of thing, cliche things that you think of when you think about what it means to be in Africa. And then we were at the mall and there was a guy at basically a Starbucks working on his laptop, wearing a suit. And I was like, maybe you could not be such a racist jerk and (laughs) allow that all these things can happen in more places than where you live. Right. So and that was maybe seven years ago, right? So I still have this, I still walk into the world with these preconceptions, only now I'm like, of course. And also it is very thrilling to me to have these kinds of experiences where I'm like, oh, you're just so yeah. wrong about the world, right? And that's exciting because yeah. it gives you the opportunity to have a much deeper understanding of a place and to like have your view of these things rattled up and to have them become real. It's not like it takes anything away from it at all. It makes it so much better. Yeah. Right. And they're like, you know, now, you know, everybody, their first day in Nairobi, they go see the baby elephants and they go see the giraffes, which I did. But also like I went shopping at the Bed Bath and Beyond and, you know, <laughs> and I was watched these beautiful people shop for housewares. And I was like, of course this happens here. Yeah. What's the yeah, matter? Like, those like preconceived notions just yes. kind of like, scattered yes. and like oh but you know not every i don't think not every not everyone is maybe open to that shattering um of, oh of i live the, for it really yeah. it's my favorite thing right because you know when they said we're going to the mall i was like there's a mall in, of course there's a mall here like like everything about that is appealing to me right and i spent a lot of time in the supermarket because the produce is different and there's nothing i like more than a good snack aisle yeah. at a foreign supermarket right so i bought a bunch of stuff to take with me and like i love that they had a juice bar and um you know i had this juice made of things that i can't get here but also it's a juice bar yeah. <laughs> you know? so i mean i love that i really love that yeah i love the experience when someone hands you a piece of fruit and you you have no idea what it is right. or what you, what you don't even know what to eat or right. how to go about it. Like do right. you go right. outside, you tear it open, you just, right. you know, and we you're had, just like. Um, a dragon fruit. You know, it's uh, that, it's, oh, it's the, got this funny stuff. It's red on the outside. And, and then you, when you cut it open, it's white and has these little black flecks inside it. Yeah. And that I'm, does, I'm aware like, of it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or lychees, which have those really fuzzy, like uh, sea urchin kind of exteriors. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great. Yeah, it's just, yeah, you feel so out of place, uh, and you're like learning something all. all yes, the same you're time. learning something, and that's the bit yeah. that like sparks your brain. You're like, I learned something new, and and you know maybe it's just having some preconception overturned, which is always good, right? Having those preconceptions overturned is always good, right? That's where cliches come from. That's where racism comes from. Mm-hmm. That's where these ideas about how things are like X come from, and then you have those things flipped over. And there's like all this new stuff in front of you and you're like, oh, I got to think differently about this. And it really feels like you're you're comfortable in uncertainty, right? I mean, so much of our insulation, you know, in the United States or in the Western world or whatever part you're stuck in, so to speak, you really insulate yourself from those things because things outside of you make 
make the black and white very gray, right? So you start right. to feel, and you're, you're presenting yourself with challenges to your certainty about things, I think. And people do that intellectually. They can do that through travel, but <clears throat> it is it is a natural, I think it's a natural tendency to want to try to insulate yourself and keep yourself, but to, to discover is also more exciting, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. you know, I think one of the ways that we first connected, it was very early on. We were part of a, a blogging community uh, called World Hum. We both had written stuff for World Hum, and went, we both love to read World Hum. And uh, I've had a chance to meet um, some of the folks, part of that community through the years in person, which is always amazing. Um, and But then I think a short time after that, um, you, you started up an organization or worked with an organization called Passports with Purpose, which, yeah. you know, the name of it just automatically kind of gets to, to, you know, this idea of you've traveled and you've seen and you've experienced and uh, now how are you going to turn this into something um, that, helps, that helps people? Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about that organization and, and how it got started? Yeah, so... Uh, so, you know, at that time, so first of all, there's, there remains a world hum shaped hole inside my heart. Um, I think there probably always will be. Um, it's not, it's, there's still a little bit of a heartbeat there and it still holds some of the best writing I've ever read about travel on the web. Um, so, uh, but world hum was very early on and, you know, everybody was, was starting to blog about travel and all this stuff was happening. And, and I met, three other women who are also travelers who like to write about traveling. And uh, one of my co-founders who I actually just saw um, maybe two weeks ago, she came to my house for coffee. Uh, Debbie Dubrow was like, we should do something good. <laughs> she was sort of vague about it. She was like, we should do something good. Um, you know, we know all these people, we have all this power, we have this community. We should harness this into some kind of direction. Uh, I had, the year before traveled through Southeast Asia and I pretty much sobbed my way across Cambodia, which is a place where the veneer between the past, their, their tragic, tragic past under the Khmer Rouge and their current recovery is so thin. It's, it just feels paper thin. Like you could scratch it away and then you just see this lifetime of pain underneath it. And I, I felt like, like I couldn't, Cambodia just, I don't know, there was something about it. I was very affected by it. Um, and we found a program that builds schools. And we built, our first year we built, a, we funded the construction of a school in Cambodia. And we did it by getting people like you, Kelsey, to give stuff to us to raffle off. We sold, I mean, it's a very basic, simple model, but we were connected to thousands of people, right? So it was very possible for us to, raise thousands of dollars to, to at uh, tens of thousands of dollars to fund these projects. Uh, so we did this for, uh, I did it for five years. I think we did a project with room to read and we stocked a library, um, in, uh, Namibia. I'm sorry. I'm blanking on where it was exactly. I think it was Namibia. Uh, we built two wells, in Haiti after the earthquake, you know, we did these sort of public works and education focused projects where we would have people give us stuff to auction off. And then we would take the money and just give it to these NGOs to fund their local projects. 
it was very satisfying and exciting. And um, yeah, we did it for the organization ran for, I think, seven years total. And uh, I stepped away five years in, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, what, it was great. What was the process of deciding? Of, so it sounds like in, uh, the first uh, one was was influenced by you being in Cambodia. Uh, but but even then, like, how do you focus on who to support? And so what were some so, of the questions that you all asked? It was really hard, actually, first of all, because there are a zillion places that need help. Right. So and we could do one. Right. We, we pick we had to pick one every year. And so we had this exhaustive vetting process. Um, we looked at uh, a track record of success for starters, right? Like we didn't want to be the first people to fund a project and to have it go bust. We wanted it to be with, with, we wanted our money to go to grounded organizations. We looked for organizations that did not have deep religious ties. Not that we are against those, but because those were potentially divisive to participants and we just didn't want to tackle that. Right. So, um, so we negated that as an option. Um, we were very fond of going for stuff that helped kids, you know, educational causes, but you know, the, the well project was just basic human services, right? People yeah. need water. Uh, so there was a lot of like, what about this? What about this? You know, there's a lot of asking questions and then we would dig deep into their records, find out where their money came from, find out what their agenda was, uh, find out sort of what they expected in return from their participants mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the other ones. We built a village in India. Um, we mm. like literally paid for these small homes to be built, um, mm. but they were built by the villagers themselves, right? The money went to, yeah. fund. they wanted it, right? That's just the other thing was that there had to be deep local participation. Mm-hmm. We didn't want it to be like this bungee in NGO kind of thing where they drop in and build a thing without the involvement of the community, because those projects don't necessarily listen to it. They don't yeah. give the community necessarily what they need. And so they were always on request. We were never, we never wanted to enforce something on a community that did not want it. So that village, for example, that we funded the building of those homes, it was, I don't remember how many homes it was, but um, they wanted it, right? So that was, that was another one of the requirements, right? We weren't going to like drive in and drop, I don't know, 15 sacks of seeds for things that did not grow there. Uh Uh-huh. Right. So we were very careful about um, a track record of success, uh, the, that they did not enforce a political or re- religious agenda on their recipients and that the community was deeply involved. That well project, Haitians built those wells yeah. and they decided where they were going to go. We just made it possible for those things to be funded. Yeah, it was hard, sounds- actually. It was really hard. There was a lot of reading. Well, you feel, I mean, the, the responsibility of like, well, you see the overwhelming amount of need sometimes just paralyzes people to just throw their hands up and not, not do something. It is. Uh, yeah. And the other thing is you hear all these stories about like warehouses full of goods going bad because the infrastructure to do di- distribution doesn't exist. Right. So the people need food and there's all this food and it's 300 miles away and there's no trucks to get it to them. Yeah. Right. So so in our case, if the, like in that kind of scenario, we would have been like, OK, maybe we have to fund the truck. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to be sure that it was really going to happen and that it was really going to help. We didn't want it to be some some empty gesture. Um, and we also didn't. It was important to me personally 
that we were, that the, the focus was on the community and their work, not on the fact that we had funded it. Like I, like it wouldn't have mattered to me if they had never taken a picture of us. Right. Yeah. I wanted it to be that these people, they wanted to make this thing happen and they just need a little, just need yeah. a little, they just need a little something to get them going. And once they had what they needed, once they had the, the, um, the resources to build the well, they were out there building the well. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have a chance to go visit any of the places that you? Oh, you know what I did. And I was super conflicted about this. Um, yeah. And I turned it down. Uh, uh, I turned down the trip to Africa the, yeah. because I didn't want to be in the camera. Mm-hmm. I, I did. I just didn't want to do that. We did a partnership with Expedia that year. Mm. And uh, two of my, two of my co-founders went and they had a great time and it was really beautiful what happened there. And I couldn't reconcile, I couldn't reconcile them spending um, whatever it costs. Like the plane uh, was crazy. It was like $10,000 for the flight. And I was like, could I just give them the $10,000 instead? Uh, <laughs> I did all this stuff in my head and eventually I just stepped out. I yeah. couldn't reconcile it. Yeah. Um, I maybe overthought it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like it's possible that they would not have, you know, that whole 10,000, they didn't write a check for $10,000 in addition, because I stayed home, mm-hmm. that didn't happen. But I personally couldn't reconcile the idea that uh, Expedia was going to spend another ten grand to buy me a plane ticket when that money could have gone so much further yep. at the project. And I, I just couldn't make it work. Yeah. I was paralyzed. I, I get that. I mean, I think that's good. that's a good thing to wrestle with, um, you know, and, and make a decision that is, you know, yeah. very thought through and, and, and with intention. I have a friend uh, who I wrote about and where am I giving who um, runs a, a place called the village experience. And she kind of sees like the power of travel to create people with more open minds, but also she visits like local programs, local projects and not to go and paint the school that the last group painted, but to right. go and they, they learn, you know, they learn about what's happening there. And then those people often become like philanthropists or right. givers to that right. a local organization that's on the ground. Right. Um, and she, there's a, uh, and she is in Kenya. Uh, she lives in Lamu, which is on the, on the coast, of the uh, um, Indian Ocean, I guess it would be, um, on like this beautiful island. Um, and so she really believes in the power of travel. But she had a village uh, that named the school. Her name is Kelly. They called it like uh, the Kelly School. Or they named it after. And she mm-hmm. just like, oh no, like what has happened? Like she just really struggles. Um, with yeah. that, she very much wants to just kind of. I'm glad that we can make that happen and get other people involved in it, but like, please don't name your school after me. <laughs> right, right. I mean, there's a there's a terrible white savior thing that happens, right? Um, and I was very mindful that I didn't want, I just didn't want any of it, right? And that's what made me stay home, right? I didn't want to be some some white lady who flew off to Africa, and, and I mean Africa, like it was a very specific place. Don't get me wrong. So it's this very specific place, but there's this, there's this sort of mythology. And I didn't, I didn't want that. I didn't want to be that. I just wanted to see things be better for some people. I wanted some kids to have some books and I didn't want it to be about me. And I, it was really, I'm still conflicted about it. Right. Yeah. Cause like, I wish I had gone and then I could have seen it and it would have been an amazing trip. And also like, I couldn't do that. I just couldn't reconcile it. Like I lay awake at night thinking about this forever. It was terrible. There's a uh, uh, a group uh, that had started with an Instagram called um, No White Saviors. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Yeah, before. yeah. 
Yeah. We've, we've had a couple of um, their founders on here and it's just, you know, that's a lot of it, stuff. What they have to say is really, really challenging and kind of you know, makes you look back and question how you acted in the past. And you realize that this is good. This is what it should be. It should be a struggle. Um, we, sh we should never stop struggling with these questions. Yeah, I was so it's it's an honor and a privilege to be able to give like that. Right. And then to take the camera and turn it back on yourself. I feel like that negates the value of the gift. Right. That's about that becomes about me, the gift giver, not about the way your uh, the, the um, future and the needs of the greater community at large. Yeah. I have a, a friend uh, or I guess I've written about him and I know him and we were like best buddies or anything like that. Uh, but we get along and his name is Jake Harriman. He started a group called New Roo International. And they work in Korea, Kenya in all uh, different parts. And he was a former special forces um, soldier in the Marines. And the story that they tell is often Jake's story of um, being involved in the raid in Iraq and, you know, a, a car pulling up and um, this guy running out, waving their arms or telling them to get down. And, and just this horrible experience of the realization that this guy's trying to escape with his family from, Saddam's special, you know, and, and just the wrestle that Jake starts to have. And so often the organization um, wants to tell that story because that's what people would be interested in. Right. And, and Jake would have to reluctantly at times give in to that. So here they did a like, video of Jake and, you know, there's cartoons and stuff. Right. And, and, and because it helped move the mission forward to some extent, but he really, he really struggled with that aspect of it. And amazingly, Jake now, has actually, after years working for that organization, he stepped away and they have a new person in place. Uh, so, so it's transitioned well. And it's, it's um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's really good questions to be, always questions are, always questioning our own intent. Um, the, in, the attention is addictive, right? It's, it's certainly addictive. And it's a thing that is, you feel great and people think you're a hero. You know, people, um, you know, when I, when I took in that, uh, that young woman from when she was released from ice, people were like, most people wouldn't do that. And I'm like, why not? And most people should. And like, I really wanted to talk about it because I opened my home to a stranger who was harmless. And there's so much about how like, they're not sending us their best people kind of nonsense. Right. Yeah. And I had this, like, I swear to God, she was like 83 pounds. I could have maybe I couldn't bench press her. You could bench press her, Kelsey. <laughs> um, you know, she was just, a, she was just this girl. Right. And so it was really important to me that, that people know that that's who's at the border. That's who yep. ICE is detaining. That's the part of the story that's important to me. Or the, the, the fact that like, uh, like we talk, we say terrible things about, uh, you know, our, our soon to be deposed president said terrible things about Haiti, but they were destroyed in a major uh, geologic incident that had yeah. nothing to do. That earthquake is not their fault. And mm -hmm. so the thing, and, and then they wanted to rebuild. So the focus should always be there and not on the, the, not on those of us who, participated in, in maybe helping make it possible. Yeah. I'm not saying this very well, but I think you know yeah. what I mean. I said before, like we shouldn't, we're not, we shouldn't be Batman. We should be like Alfred, you know, kind of like, 
behind the scenes and helping people, helping people along. Yeah. What do you need? Okay, here you go. Here's a batarang. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's great. I love that. Yeah, that's a really good analogy, right? I don't want to be like some mysterious figure in a tower that people slightly fear and look up to and think of as a hero. Like, I'm not a hero. I'm just a regular person who has a guest room. Right, yeah. and, and I'm that, trying to make up for that that per, that people in India who helped me out. <laughs> <laughs> they taught right? me to do this, so I'm doing right? it. Right, or I'm trying to make it be normal. Yeah, that that's a thing that people do. Right, not even like not. I don't. I don't want to make up for that. I just want it to be a thing that happens. Yep. So um, pivoting a little bit, uh, maybe a lot of bit, but your travels led you to the ukulele and uh, I love mm-hmm. that part of, of 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 your story and how you seem to find so much joy in that I actually saw on your site you have a FAQ and I watched the whole <laughs> Amanda Palmer video and I had never seen that before Jay you it's have great, to, right you have to watch this like the one of the lines that and her like and their lyrics must be pages long one of them is quit your bitching on the blog and stop pretending art is hard and I'm like, wow, it's like she wrote this for Pam. Like, you know, like, that's Pam's philosophy, like right there, you know. She also says um, it takes, what is it? It takes 10 minutes to build a standard pipe bomb about the m- amount of time it takes to build a ukulele. Yeah. It takes me to learn to play the ukulele, right? Like, what are you going to do with your energy? Um, that's a great, that, the lyrics in that song oh, are really fun. That's so um, good. So, but yeah, you know, I fell in love with the, the ukulele when I went to Hawaii for the first time. Um, I remember getting off the plane and you just were there. So, you know, that there's like, there's literally music in the air in Hawaii Yeah, and it gets in you somehow. And, uh, and years ago, after I came back from that first trip, uh, I was visiting some friends and they were bugging out to Costa Rica for the year. And this was not long after I had come back from Hawaii and they were shopping. They were, they were like giving all their stuff away. And I had been shopping for ukulele and I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know what to buy and I didn't know how to play it. And I just had decided that this was a thing I was going to do. And I was on their front porch and I walked up the steps and Anthony, my friend, Anthony said, Hey, do you want this ukulele? And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like kind of the rest is history. Um, you know, uh, my band broke up two years ago now, but, you know, we played together for seven years. We were, we recorded two albums. We were on, uh, we were on TV twice, three times. We played a ton of festival stages. I've never been a performing artist of any kind. And I answered an ad uh, in an email that I'm on for, for uh, ukulele players. And these guys were like, Hey, we're looking for a woman who wants it. We need a, we need somebody who's female to join our crazy ukulele project. Do you want to, um, you know, we're doing uh, cover songs, eighties, nineties music. Um, but we need, we need a, we need, we need a girl in the band. And I answered this ad and I went down to now my friend Jim's place and sat in his living room and um, played some music with those guys for, I don't know, an hour. And they said, see you next week. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, see you next week. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't know what you guys are doing. I don't know how to do any of this. Uh, Just give me some time. And I was actually going back to Hawaii for the winter. I was going to attend a music camp there. And so I went to music camp and I came back and they had not found anybody else they wanted in that time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, you guys, I'll give it a try. 
Uh, yeah, we played together for seven years. It was so wow. fun. I miss it like crazy. I cannot tell you. We played, um, we were basically your standard rock and roll cover band, but everybody played the ukulele. <laughs> Everything was scaled down. And so people would hear us playing and then they would look and be like, what is happening? Yeah. Why? Huh? Um, we played a party once and there the sound guy was like, you are not supposed to be this loud. And we're like, what are you talking about? This is what we do, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is really fun. I really miss it. And my heart is, mm. is broken, you know, again, the same way it is about travel in so many ways about not being able to do live music right now. Like we can't play music with other people. Mm -hmm. We can't go see live music there. You know, the club scene is dead in the water. I'm, I'm, Mm. my just to be a musician in these times you know i had a great run that i never would have it was a crazy adventure right it's super fun um and uh i never would have thought it would happen but there are lifelong career musicians right now and they're just yeah twisting mm -hmm. in the wind it's so sad are, are you finding time to play when you're oh yeah i always i my ukulele's on my kitchen table and there's a pile of them right here um next oh, wow. to me if, if yeah um, so, um, yeah, there's, uh, they're, they're always around. There's, they're like kicking around my house. I, I play, I still play a fair bit on my own, but it's, it's playing with other people that I miss. Right. Yeah. I was never, uh, again, like I never intended any of that to happen. I didn't really intend to, I never would have thought I'd be on a huge stage with like the, the racks and the lights and stuff. Right. And we did that. Um, it was so fun. And, uh, so that's the bit that I miss. I mean, prior to that, and now I'm back to like noodling on my stuff, noodling on my uke in the kitchen and stuff and playing while I, in between like caramelizing the onions for dinner. But, um, it's not the same as getting yeah. to play with other people. There's, there's something that magical that happens when you get to make music with other people that I really miss. Jay was in a rock band for years. I think he opened for Foreigner. Uh, uh is that correct, Jay? A, a few different groups there was uh, a festival in louisville kentucky that well it's uh, a brag jay this is your moment to brag yeah. no oh. I, again we're not turning the camera on me <laughs> <laughs> and i never and i've never learned how to play ukulele though my daughter knows how to play so. it's it's you pick it you you know 10 minutes you can build a pipe bomb you can learn to play with you. well right. my my fingers work on strings i know that much yeah so I can probably it's, figure it out. you'd probably pick it up in a, it, easily a weekend i taught a bunch of people um sort of the basics and then they go off to like figure everything else out on their own. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I have, I have a deep fondness for a raised platform stage mm -hmm. with the vibration of the bass under my shoes. Mm -hmm. and it is. And I just, that feeling is so great. And also when you're, when your band locks in together and you play a good show, it, it's, it's chilling. Best. Yeah. It's really, <laughs> it's really something I've been watching, uh, like Katie Tunstall on, uh, social media and I know she's dying just to mm. get out and play a show and she's such a crowd hog. She's so much fun and she hasn't mm. been able to do it. I mean, yeah. that's, especially when your living's made from it, it's really yeah. been a tough year. Yeah. 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 Jay, any, like when was the last time you were on a stage and any advice for Pam of like, <laughs> do you always like have that itch? Like yeah, oh, uh, always, always do. Yeah, I played a benefit here about, I don't know, 10 years ago with a group from work. And while it was painful at times, there were moments of feeling good about it. But um, I've been noodling in the basement on my guitar since. Just getting in a group does not sound good anymore. <laughs> Probably because I can't find anybody I can groove with. So, 
Yeah, it's it's a magical thing when you have that. Like our band was, we were locked at the end. There, we were locked, and it was it was really great. And people were always surprised. Um, the thing about the ukulele is that it um, is a immediate expectation lower. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so as you tell people you play the uke, they do not expect much out of you at all. And then we would play these huge rock numbers these big epic like we played um uh won't get fooled again one year and our uh so great the guy who arranges our music there's there's this long keyboard bit at the beginning Uh he tabbed it all out for the uke and so when he when we opened the set he was playing this very distinctive sound which is that keyboard bit from won't get fooled again and people like it was silent it was absolutely silent. And one year we played, um, uh, I'm trying to play with Nirvana. Um, and one of the guys afterwards, he came up to us and said, you made my wife cry. Because <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> we just, we just nailed it. We played very true to form. We did not, we weren't, uh, we weren't trying to do anything except change the instruments. That's it. All mm, we did was change yeah. the instruments. Everything else was absolutely 100% true to the original. Um, yeah. So we arranged our, the guy who did our arrangements arranged it, and he's a, a grade school music teacher, so he has mad chops. Um, mm, yeah. So did you do the beat, big Pete Towns and arm swing with the? <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! I had a, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I had a stomp box, um, so I had an effects pedal that I would run my youth for specifically oh, wow. for that. Yeah, and I I, think, I just called it the more box. <laughs> wow, that is awesome. Yeah, I'm going to have to listen to yeah. this. Yeah, it was really fun. I'll send you a link. Yes, please. I don't. Yeah. Ha- I'm really sad that I don't have uh, that particular set that we did on um, on video that we didn't record it because it was it was just amazing. It was fantastic. We played Pink Floyd's "The Wall." We did the whole thing. Like it was just nuts. Wow. So fun. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I appreciate just like you were talking about the ukulele. It was like joyful. You know, like Amanda Palmer had it had it right and it's just I, i've loved watching you kind of get involved with that and i hope that someday you can get back up on that stage and oh you know. yeah i think it'll happen i think it'll happen also uh, between you and me and everybody who's listening kelsey i have twenty six thousand words sitting on my hard drive and now that this book is out um i will perhaps finish the bit that i'm writing about the ukulele oh nice that yeah. sounds awesome yeah i yeah. had to put it away it just wasn't coming together but now that yeah. I have some distance um, and uh, this other book is out of the way and there's space in the mental attic, I might be able to go there and get the huge stories nice. out. Well, I look forward to reading more of your work, more of your future books and really appreciate you coming on. And uh, uh, I, I think I, I think I totally left out the name of your book. Uh, it's, um, it's the uh, same, same river, river twice. twice. <laughs> I just had a moment of panic. The same river twice. Uh, I definitely recommend it. It's a, it's a book. Uh, I actually wrote a review for it today and posted it, Pam. So you can go on and check it oh, out. Oh, thank you. I'll thank you. Read, I'm not going to read it right here in front of you because that would be super awkward. But basically it just is like I um, will give this book to my daughter because I hope to raise um, a, 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 a girl who wants to go out into the world and has a curiosity and the courage it takes to to go out there and it, it's not like I want her to just like, oh, here's don't screw up like Pam did here. Don't, <laughs> don't make this choice. Although some areas I hope that that's, that's the case. It's just the uh, being open to, to the journey and growing. I, 
in, in awareness and curiosity and consciousness and compassion. And, and that's what I feel like is really powerful about your book. That's it. I can see the through line that comes to who you are today, who's someone that I really admire. So I'm oh, excited Kelsey, for her to read. Thank it. you. I'm blushing. Oh, <laughs> it's my birthday. That's my birthday present. Everything you just said. Well, you can go on. It's, it's online. Read it. And I'll actually probably will end the podcast. Um, with the, I'll re read the review uh, when you're not, you know, on here with us. So, uh, <laughs> I feel like it's it's rather kind, but I, I really, I, I appreciate the book for kind of the reflection of my own travels, but then also like, wow, I think that this is an important book for for like the what it's kind of a YA, but it's like the real, like it's 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 more real. It's uh, w without the, it's just no bullshit. Like this, it is, is not sugar coated. There is no sugar coating in this book. Um, so yeah, thank you. Well, thank thank you. you for doing the work on that. Thanks for rocking out on the you can join us today. <laughs> uh, for all those things, you are definitely good people, Pam. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank you, Jay. Hey there, this is Kelsey. I'm recording this and I recorded the, the interview with Pam um, from Sao Paulo, Brazil, where I've been quarantined for like two weeks. I'm supposed to be in the Amazon. It's a long story. Maybe I'll get to it someday hasn't been a great two weeks um but i'm so thankful that pam was able to join us and connect and i'm so excited for you all to check out her book the same river twice um and as promised i wanted to end this um interview with uh or this podcast i guess with a review of pam's book so um and it's it's uh i would say it's biased but it's not it's a really good book you should totally read it so here it is, my review of The Same River Twice by Pam Mandel. And Mandel is both M-A-N-D-E-L. Okay, here's the review. I love to travel. I love being a girl dad to a brave, compassionate tween. I hope I'm the kind of dad that raises my daughter to be smart and strong and curious and wants to discover the world on her own. I hope that someday she comes to me and says, Dad, I want to travel. And when that day comes, I'll hand her Pam Mandel's The Same River Twice. At the age of 17, Pam began years of travel, opening her eyes to the kindness and cruelty of strangers while examining her own privilege. Pam falls in love with the world, and sometimes her fellow travelers. She experiences love and abuse, wonder and ignorance. I began traveling in my early 20s, and like Pam, never really stopped. As I read about Pam's travels, I reflected on my own dirtbag days where I'd eat one meal a day, and sleep in parks or train stations when I ran out of money. I highly recommend this book for anyone who has ever been bit by the travel bug, or as Pam puts it, that magnetic pole of adventure. Some things in life you can't read about to learn. You have to experience them yourself. So when I hand my daughter the same river twice, it won't be so that she'll avoid Pam's mistakes, although I hope she does or follow Pam's path to becoming a person I greatly admire. It'll be so my daughter can see what growing curious, growing consciousness, growing compassion, growing ideas, growing self-reliance, and growing up look like.
Thanks for listening to the Good People Podcast. Special thanks to my friend Jay Mormon for co-hosting and to Cliff Ritchie for the great tunes. You can listen to Cliff on Spotify or find him at cliffritcheyart.com. Let's keep the good going. Please share, rate, and subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Visit kelseytimmerman.com slash goodpeople to find show notes, suggest guests, learn more about my books, and tell us about the good you are doing in the world.